guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys. This is Jackie. This is Drea. And we're back for another week of Killer Cocktails. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to kind of paint the picture for you guys right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I knocked over my cocktail. Sangria. Which isn't the first time. Yeah. No. Um, And you're not alone in that. I feel like I've knocked over my cocktail as well. Yeah, but this is a thing. Kimri has a really nice house. She's a grown up. And she has like grown ass shit. Like, look at this floor. Is this like white mahogany? This is crazy. (laughs) It's it's some like luxurious stuff that I don't yeah. even understand. I don't know if the you know it could is it porous? I don't know. It, it sounded the like fear. it <laughs> when when it knocked over. Oh my god, that's a dark but, liquid. This is the thing. Okay, so this week's cocktail is the sangria because we have been such bad bartenders. We're like, let's just go sangria. Well, we were gonna do beer and then <laughs> we like couldn't figure that out. Oh god. And Kimry was nice enough to make sangria for us. Yes. So she makes us this amazing sangria, and I have it next to me, and I go to take a sip, and I just, I don't know what happened. But wait, let me paint this picture a little bit more. Okay. So, first of all, you spill over the sangria, but there's already tension in the air. Because oh. Kimmery wants to go play trivia, and we got to get this episode in the can mm-hmm. so that we can go play trivia. So everything we do that makes it take longer <laughs> is quietly really irritating her let's just say the spill of this angry was just the cherry on top our producer is not pleased with us and i I feel it yeah i'm sorry so here we go (laughs) episode 50 exciting wait 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 but one thing i knock it it over and i go to get up to help clean and then i knock it over again (laughs) so two knockout i now have to drink it out of like a sippy cup essentially Mm -hmm. an adult sippy cup so i apologize kimri and we both love you (laughs) And we, and we will appreciate here and you. We will play trivia tomorrow night somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make it. I believe in us. There's we'll just no, be hella late. There's no way. <laughs> Anywho, you guys, this is our fiftieth episode. That's a big round number. Yeah, that's a nice number. It's half of a hundred. You split that in half. It's twenty five. It's true. It's crazy. This is a big milestone. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much if you've been with us since the beginning. Thank you so much if you just tuned in to us. Welcome. I'm I'm just so excited that we've made it this far. All right. So again, we didn't make the sangria. Kimberly yes. made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a little tutorial on Instagram where we like gave out the specs. And if people want to get uh, the recipe, we just pulled it from liquor.com. Typically mm-hmm. a great spot to get uh, recipes from. Kimberly did... Uh, she altered it a little bit, didn't add the sugar, which I'm not missing in this. I think it's delicious and, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need that sugar in there. Um, and there was something with the juice, maybe like a fresh juice instead of concentrate mm-hmm. or. Um, yeah. So I think we ended up with a healthier, tastier. Oh, beverage. always. If Kimri's in the mix, it is going to be healthier for yeah. sure. She's and still tasty. Yeah. Um, I You have bubbles in yours now, right? I've got bubbles in mine. And I also have some sangria facts if you're ready for this. <gasps> yeah. All right, so sangria's origins probably date back to the Middle Ages. Ooh. You got an old ass drink. It's like a Drea <laughs> special over there. Um, this was during a time when water was unhealthy to drink, so it's like dirty. Like mm-hmm. horses drank water and got bathed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would drink fermented beverages because it carried a lower risk of getting sick. Mm-hmm. 
um, they would mix wine, which is not the wine that we're thinking of today. It was a lot lighter and less potent than like our wines. Like a mead? Wines. Or no, a mead is heavier, I huh? I feel like mead's heavier. Okay. So like a, you know, like a, like a, I don't know what, because I don't know wine, but a lighter <laughs> wine. Um, so they would mix it with spices and fruit and stuff. Gotcha. To make it extra palatable. Because mm-hmm. um, Kimberly was telling me, like, kids drank it too. Mm-hmm. So you can't be knocking kids what on their asses. time to be alive. I know. <laughs> um, all right. Last little fact here. Wait. Sangria fact. Sangria fact. <laughs> okay. The word sangria is uh, a pretty serious word. It comes from the Latin word for blood. <gasps> blood. 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 Uh, because of original sangria's reddish hue, um, the result was they like they thought it looked like blood. So hell sangria. yeah. I mean, Every when one. it spilled all over the floor, it kind of looked like a murder scene in here. It was. I thought you were going to get murdered. No, I legit <laughs> thought my life was at stake. Um, sweet. Those were great sangria facts. Thank you. They came from Henry. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the wine that we used for the sangria. Yes. This wine is real special because it's a local wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, local to us here in Bend, Oregon and Central Oregon. Um, Maragas Winery. So... Maragas Winery was established in 1999 in Culver, Oregon. Um, And they were actually like the first founding winery and vineyard in Central Oregon. So they were like kind of paving the way. Interesting. Because you got to think wines, you or like vines, vineyards, Mm -hmm. you want uh, kind of that like arid Mediterranean Mm -hmm. climate. Like you've got a bunch of stuff down in the valley, right? Mm -hmm. Like Southern Oregon. So yeah, I wouldn't think high desert Oregon could make ben good wine be, yeah. yeah so yeah. really paved the way and so it's really cool because from their winery you can see smith rock and you can see the seven peaks of the cascade mountains oh beautiful so it's just gorgeous so you're just imagine you're sipping this amazing wine mm-hmm. you're taking in the sceneries oh it sounds amazing i um, wish we had gone to that winery before yes yeah, so i'm talking like i've been there this is what their website says <laughs> We're going to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it's not oh, thunderstorming outside, we're going to yes, go. 100% we'll go. Um, their mission is to make old world handcrafted barrel aged wine that is unique to our style and exemplifying complex flavors. Yeah. Which I can definitely tell. Um, oh, what I really thought was cool about their company is they really strive for sustainability. Okay. So their corks are the first zero carbon footprint cork, and they're actually made out of sh- uh, sugar cane. Whoa, yeah. that's kind of, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also use solar panels um, at their like area and stuff. Oh, so red. they just, everything they do They're being is- being real organ about it. Exactly. Just thinking about the environment, Mother Earth. Um, so yeah, and that's just a little bit about the wine. Um, like I said, it's a local wine at Terrebonne. When we were out in Terrebonne, we also got to visit this really cool distillery. Oh my goodness. Yes. Do you want to talk about them for a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so we, uh, and the name of the- I know that the the alcohol that they make is is it Idler Crossing? Mm-hmm. I get, yeah. Did I get that right? Um, which is a very unique a liquor. What's the? It's super strange because it comes from a sunchoke. Mm-hmm. Which What's a sunchoke? A sunchoke. Think of a sunflower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of in that family, and it grows really well here in Central Oregon. So when you talk to Jim and Laura, so they're the farmers that farm the sunchokes. They were like, this should be a huge crop here it grows mm-hmm. really well it's hardy um so they started growing sunchokes and then they were there's a they decided to start um distilling it and it matches flavor profiles and it, there's a is it german right mm-hmm. is 
So this isn't a popular liquor here. It has a very unique and interesting flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Jim and Laura were telling us is like they're and like we're such bad bartenders. I don't know what kind of help we're going to be. <laughs> but they want to find recipes of like ways to mix it into cocktails um, that are kind of unique to its flavor. Because it's I like it. It's strange. Yeah. But I like it. Yeah. Because they made us like a Bloody Mary with it. And yeah. Like, like that we was did little good. shooters of it just to mm-hmm. taste it. We did Bloody Marys. I feel like they've done a mule maybe of it I'm yeah to yeah 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 but they're just such a cute couple and like oh they're, they're the sweetest they like their distillery isn't their main focus they they're have farmers. this huge farm how many okay 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 you guys guess how many pounds of zucchini they harvest in one jim and laura these yeah two people. G- just jim and laura in one day in one day guess get your guesses in i'll wait all right, how many? 900 pounds. 900 pounds. By themselves. So they say they wake up and they're like um, pinky to th- like a uh, thumb. Okay. With length. And uh, by the time it's afternoon, they're like double, triple that they size. They got to get out there. They and they get these... have to pick them. I love it. And they do zucchini and they do tomato. They do like everything. Yeah, they, they sell to a bunch of restaurants mm-hmm. here in town. Um yeah they they sell to the school districts like they give like local produce to them it's super rad if you're ever in terrebonne go check out their distillery um jim jim's got himself a beautiful mustache (laughs) yes he does they are so charming (laughs) um but yeah so once we are back in the swing of things when we can actually make cocktails because i feel like it's just a swing and a miss the last couple I think ones we do like we go we have matt come over like we sync up with a good bartender mm-hmm. and we have him teach us some tricks yes yeah um but once we have that under our hat again i would love to contact him and laura and use their their uh liquor oh God, yeah. and use it in one of our cocktails and we can tell you more about it well, we're then. gonna go out to the farm we want to help pick <gasps> zucchinis one day like do a whole yes. like instagram story about it yes, and... yes 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 we definitely if you guys are listening and i know you guys are <laughs> hi jim hi laura um we definitely want to come out to the farm and help they've got a history in radio they do yeah they're oh they are beautiful people um and they are actually why we are telling our stories today because when we were out there they told us these stories mm-hmm. so jim told us some local terrebonne central oregon stories um and so i picked one and jackie's gonna do the other um and so we're gonna jump right in to our murder stories Okay, so Jackie, I'm going to tell you about Howard Estelle Pete Reed, and we're going to call him Pete because that's what everyone knew him knew him as. Um, he was born on November 20th in 1940 in Bend, Oregon. There we go. That's where we are. Uh, Janet K. McCormick um, Reed is born on February 27th in 1943 in Lebanon, Oregon. Uh, Janet graduates from uh, Redmond Union High School in Redmond, Oregon in 1961. Yeah. Uh, then Pete and Janet meet and they fall in love and they get married and they buy this beautiful ranch out in Culver, Oregon, which is about 10 miles south of Madras in central Oregon. Okay. Um, and so my tie again to the story is we're using a Terrebonne local wine. Central Oregon. Yes, exactly. And so they just become this really amazing staple in the community. Um, Pete would work with the jail ministry at the Jefferson County Jail, and he did um, he did a lot of work at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem as well. Okay. Uh, Pete was voted Jefferson County Cattleman of the Year in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet his wardrobe has pearl snaps mm-hmm. and bolo ties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Janet is a substitute teacher in the school system and would volunteer for any task that needed to get done. 
Um, they were frequently helped. Uh, oh, they frequently helped others who had fallen on hard times or just needed some like extra help, such as Walt Edmonds, who stayed with Janet and Pete when he was first beginning his law practice in Madras, and he uh, actually eventually became a judge in the Oregon Court of Appeals. Wow. So just like <clears throat> all walks of life, if they saw you were in need, they lent yeah. like a helping hand. Um, so I'm now I'm going to tell you about Jacob Allen Coleman. Jacob, Jacob was born in 1979, and from what I could gather, his parents were kind of like in and out of his life. Um, Jacob, Jacob had a hard time in school, and he was consistently getting into trouble with school officials. Um, but like while he's at school, he kind of crossed paths with Janet because she's a substitute teacher. Okay. So they kind of like... And he was born when? 89? Is that what you uh, said? 79. 79, yeah. okay. And so that's how they kind of yeah. meet each other. So he's living with his mother and he's caught stealing guns and he's like 12 years old at this point. And like in my head, he's taking guns from like neighbors and not like. So crazy. Yeah. Um, and he's removed from his mother's care. Um, Pete and Janet volunteer to foster Jacob after they hear about this. Okay. And since he was having such a hard time uh, adjusting to regular school life, they decide to homeschool him. Okay. So the plan is to like house Jacob until an opening at St. Mary's Home for Boys in Beaverton had like an opening for him. And so, obviously, Jacob is having a hard time adjusting to regular school life and, like, authority figures. And there was probably more going on at home than I was able to find. Okay. Um, so, Jacob is with um, the Reeds for a bit. And one so night... So, essentially, they're just kind of acting like foster parents. Yeah. They're okay. fostering him. Got it. Yeah. Um, and so, in case people don't know, fostering is just essentially you're taking in a child um, for... On a short-term basis. Exactly. And helping where you can before mm-hmm. they find a permanent situation. Um, so Jacob is with the Reeds for a bit and one night everything changes for the worst. So according to Jacob, he decided to kill Janet and Pete. So he grabbed it. He's how old? 12. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. So he grabs a 12 gauge shotgun and he tries to wake them up by banging on the living room piano. So it's at night. They'd gone to sleep. Yeah. And he's like making a ruckus. Mm hmm. Uh, when that didn't wake them up, he turned on the TV, then went into the bathroom and he waited. Because he wants them to come out. Mm-hmm. Pete finally gets out of bed and he goes into the living room and he turns off the TV and then he walks into the bathroom where Jacob is waiting. And when he sees Pete, he shoots him twice in the chest. That's horrible. Janet then runs into the bathroom to see what was going on and Jacob shoots her once in the head. Uh, Jacob then drives the couple's truck to a tavern in a neighboring town and he calls the police. So police come and pick him up, and he goes into their custody. And when he's asked why he did it, he said that they had made him do his homework, and like just made him sit in this chair all day until he did his homework. They're and just he, giving him structure. Mm-hmm. And he simply just didn't like them. Oh. Mm-hmm. So like oh, imagine. I don't know how to deal with that. Wow. So like imagine this child obviously didn't come from a home with structures and boundaries. Yeah. And it just escalated out of control. Because that's such a rare, in most any other scenario, mm-hmm. the kid tantrums, they, like ultimately, then they kind of fall in like, they kids do want structure, they just mm-hmm. don't want structure. Exactly. Oof. Um, so you Jake, just don't think a 12-year-old's going to kill you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and like imagine Janet had worked with him at the school. Yeah. Had, had him as a student. Um, so Jacob goes to trial and he pleads not guilty. 
Um, but he's ultimately found guilty and is given the maximum sentence that a juvenile could receive during that time. Because he's so young, he can't even really charge him mm-hmm. as an adult, right? Yeah. Um, and during that time, the maximum sentence, that means that they can only hold him until he's 21 years old. And then he's automatically released. Oh, interesting. Um, by 2000, by year 2000, the law changed to allow Oregon to inca- incarcerate juvenile offenders until they are 25. So it's a little bit. Tax on mm-hmm. a couple of years. And it does that, can they apply that to previous cases? Uh, no, because it changed. Um, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Because sometimes you can yeah. and sometimes you can't. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the funeral for Janet and Pete. Mm. Um, more than 1,700 people mm-hmm. went to the Madras Conservative Baptist Church service for them. Well, think about like the populations mm-hmm. of those areas. That's crazy. And like they were saying that the church could only hold... Like, not even a thousand. Madras is a small little mm-hmm. town. Yeah. So mourners began <clears throat> arriving two and a half hours before the start of the service at 1 wow. p.m. And many of those in attendance had to stand in the parking lot near the front entrance because there just wasn't enough room. Mm. And the pastor just kept saying, like, you can see how, like, loved these two yeah. people were and how ingrained in the community they were and how it was such a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to Jacob. So in 2000, when Jacob turns 21, and just eight years after the murders, Jacob is released from prison. Jeez. And then Jacob gets, just keeps getting in trouble with the law. Do you, does your record get expunged? Like, oh, like can they went, see it? Because he was, because it's juvenile. So mm-hmm. I wonder, because you're held till you're an adult. Mm-hmm. Like if he went to go apply to a job at Target. Yeah. Is he going to flag as, like, do you pass background checks or not? I, wonder. I don't know. Because it. Does it depend on the circumstances? Like, in case, like, in this murder. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? that's a very aggressive crime. Mm-hmm. As, a, as opposed to, like, a robbery, you know? Yeah. Because I know, like, you know, the reason I say target, like, you've got people who look for violent crime. And so it, I just, I'm, I wonder about that juvenile thing. Is Does it go away because you're a juvenile? Yeah. Yeah. Or does it, does it linger because you were in jail till you were 21? Yeah. No, that's a great question. I'm mm. not sure. Um, so... Jacob's released and he just keeps getting into trouble and he's arrested on well, charge. He's been in jail since he was 12. Like mm-hmm. dude doesn't know how to be an yeah. adult in and life. I can't imagine our juvenile system then or now yeah. has like a very reformative program. Um, so he's getting arrested on charges, including just little misdemeanor stuff. Well, here we go. Oh. Including arrests on charges uh, range, ranging from driving with a suspended license, breaking his restraining order, um, from a next girlfriend mm. breaking and entering strangulation and assault has a hard time with boundaries mm-hmm. uh plea deals to lesser charges such as harassment resolved several charges but he also failed to appear for court crew assignments and court hearings so he's he like just doesn't fall yeah mm-hmm. so he's getting like bench warrants yeah. and stuff so he's he's arrested again uh, several times but um on this one occasion he's in jail and um he finally the court was like, okay, we're going to send you off for like a psychiatric evaluation because yeah. something, something else is going on here. And so he's supposed to be transported to that hospital for evaluation. But on April 23rd of 2003, he's accidentally released from custody. They just, there's a glitch in the mm-hmm. matrix. Yes. So they were saying that whoever was reading the documentation that day didn't know how to read it correctly. Here's what's so crazy about that. That is a human mistake. Mm-hmm. That's a like think about your job. Mm-hmm. People make errors in their job all the time, mm-hmm. and that's just a normal little mistake that has dire consequences. Yes. What does he do when he's released? Okay, so 
He's released. But police quickly find him within a couple days. Okay. And they bring him back to the jail. Okay. Um, but before that, um, Jacob had tried to commit suicide mm-hmm. by slicing his wrist with a razor. And he had like, he was banging his head against the wall. And he was saying how the correctional staff were poisoning his food. So something is. Yeah. Which is what triggered the uh, psychiatric evaluation. Uh-huh. Um. And so, ultimately, he's finally released on the correct date. And then on October 8th of 2003, at around 3.30 p.m., Jacob is found dead in his apartment. Oh. He's been shot. Oh. Um, he was... There was no definitive report saying one or several times, but one report said two, one said one, and one said they weren't going to say. Okay. Just because they hadn't caught the suspect yet so so they're not ruling it a suicide they, they believe it, it's through nefarious means the injury inflicted on him could not have been, been a suicide yeah wow mm-hmm. mm. and uh i got a lot of my uh information from a ktvz article um and then <laughs> <K-T-V-Z>. <laughs> the oregonian um robert uh, shotwell and then troy foster from the madras pioneer yeah yeah but that was the story of Janet and Pete. Oh, Reed. that's just tragic and sad. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it really comes to question, like, how do you sentence a juvenile? And it is. No one has figured it out, really. Yeah. Because it's definitely a case-by-case basis, like, what was a crime? But even then, like... Yeah. And do you send them into... Do you try them as an adult? Do you try them well, as a you juvenile? Just, you've got to think how gross that system is and if you grew up in it literally as a kid through adolescence Mm -hmm. you're not coming out normal yeah Ugh. i need some self-care give me a joke you want to self-care yeah i'll self-care you okay i think we need some Mm self-care definitely all right are you ready i'm ready okay here's a here's a joke for you (laughs) i'm a wine enthusiast okay Oh my god, Drea, what's the joke? <laughs> oh my god, you're dying. The more. Um... <laughs> oh, come on. The more wine I drink, the more enthusiastic I get. <laughs> oh, so bad. Oh, Drea. <laughs> Woo. Oh, oh my god. Do you just <laughs> Jokes.com? Where are you getting these? Uh, laughgaff.com. Oh. <laughs> Woo. Okay, I haven't oh. read this one through, but here we go. I was sat with my wife while she sipped on her glass of wine when she said, I love you so much, you know. I don't know how I could ever live without you. I said, is that you or the wine talking? She said, it's me talking to the wine. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing on my bucket list is to fill the bucket with wine. <laughs> okay well that was good okay you guys we're gonna go on a short break and we'll see you in a second don't spill your sangria hey guys this is our break message so listen you done messed up i done did messed up i didn't see an order come through and so i didn't get stickers to a listener on time and i feel so bad but i sent them out today but this is what we're gonna do to rectify my badness we are going to extend the shirt competition for another week. Okay. So, this Friday, 
September 6th. That is the last day. Go ahead and take your photos, upload them, hashtag Killer Cocktails Podcast. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to take all the photos. We're going to look at all of them with our eyeballs. Yeah. I've got two. You've got two. She's got two. That's a lot of eyeballs. We're going to take the best three photos and we're going to put it out to you guys to vote for the best picture. Best picture wins a Killer Cocktail Killer Cocktails t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Okay, now back to the show. Welcome back. Hi. All right. Uh, now it's time for my terrible tale. Okay. So again, both these stories, when we were out at the farm, mm-hmm. Jim and Laura were like, oh, you guys, Central Oregon is full of horrible stories and told us these two tales. Mm-hmm. So the one that I'm going to tell you about is essentially kind of the story of two families. Okay. And the two families are the Hausers mm-hmm. and the Guziks. Okay. So this takes place in the 80s. Um, so first I'll tell you about the Hausers. So there's Rod and Doug Hauser. They're brothers. Um, Rod's older by about like 18 months or so. Um, and he is a military vet. He's kind of this outdoorsy guy. Photographer. He'd survived polio. Like he's just kind of Whoa. a tough dude. Um, Rod and his wife Lois. So I... My understanding is the brothers grew up in Central Oregon, but then moved away. Mm-hmm. So Rod and his wife, Lois, have two adult daughters um, and a couple grandkids, and they move back to Central Oregon, to Terrebonne, um, like kind of in their golden age. So it's like they're retiring-ish to here. Um, and this is in like 1979. So, and he's already retired. So Rod was a labor negotiator but he's Mm -hmm. retired from that profession and now he's working for the forest service as a firefighter okay so i'm guessing he's like a volunteer firefighter or but like he's the old guy on the like his brother would be like dude he has to be the oldest firefighter Mm -hmm. like he's just this like tough old guy so doug and his wife um they live in lake oswego and they have a so the other like the other brother who's moved to terrebonne he and his wife have adult children but they're kind of empty nesters so Doug and his wife have a teenage daughter. She's about 16, and her name is Anne. And she's kind of described as being a little spoiled because they're all, both of them are kind of well-to-do, and they're, like, doing well. So she's kind of spoiled. She's a bit of a wild child. Um, and essentially her parents are like, look, you can either go to uh, live away, like, not military school, but, like, what do you call it? Like prep school mm-hmm. on the East Coast mm-hmm. where you don't know anybody. Or you can go live with your aunt and uncle in the middle of Central Oregon. And she's like, I guess I'll go live with my aunt and uncle. So she yeah. chooses them. And because he's like, I trust my brother. He raised two good kids. She just needs to get out of Lake Oswego. We'll, we'll send her over to Central Oregon. So three days before Christmas in 1986, she heads over to Rod and Lois's. So... There is so Jim and Laura had emailed us and told us that the or like the Oregonian is a like a local paper around here that they had done this like five part series on this story. Mm-hmm. So almost everything comes from this really in depth story set out by the Oregonian. Okay, um, and I want to say I want to make sure I get this right that the author um, I think it's the same author for all five parts. So I, I believe it's the author of all five parts is this guy, Steve Dewan. Um, but it was definitely the, the Oregonian that, that put out all this information. And this all kind of came out after the fact, like a bunch of investigative work and court documents and stuff like that. So 
Anne goes to live with her aunt and uncle. Maybe they can straighten her out. I think it's going to be like her junior year of high school. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you about the other family, the the Guziks. Okay. So a former police detective named Lynn Fredrickson, um, she referred to them as, quote, the wildest family in terms of multitude of crimes that I've ever come across. When you read the Oregon Criminal Code, especially with Randy and his father, there aren't many crimes they haven't committed. Oh, okay. Um, so, to end quote, Joel, who's the patriarch, so he's the dad, he's an abusive drunk. Um, he married his first wife, Kathleen, when she was 15. Whoa. Um, she goes on to talk about how, like, of their entire marriage, he was sober for two days of it. Whoa. And that those were when they were at Disneyland, because they don't serve alcohol, and when they were in King's Canyon, because they don't serve alcohol. That's sad. So when she, like, later, when people are questioning, because a bunch of terrible shit happens, when they're talking, they're like, why didn't you leave sooner? And she goes, I remembered this, like, Ann Landers, like, someone had written to her, and her response was, you have to gauge whether staying is better for the kids or whether leaving is better for the kids. And she was like, you know, he, like, taught them how to weld. Yeah. So, like, her... She was like, I think they're getting more out of Staying. it than hurting, which yeah. on my assessment is not true. Okay. Um, so in 1987, which is when a bunch of this stuff takes place, Joel had essentially two houses going um, in Redmond, Oregon. So again, same thing. This is going to be a Central Oregon uh, crime. He essentially has two wives and two families. He's got six kids and... So Joel's originally from Grass Valley down in California, but he had relocated to Central Oregon in 77. So he's been around for like about 10 years. Um, And his properties are like this amalgamation of campers and vans. And it's just kind of this like sprawl. His parents live in one of the campers. His kids live in another camper. Um, So Randy and Danny are brothers and they both live in one of the campers. Okay, so the dad, Joel, hadn't worked since about 1985. He had had a job at the hospital, and he was fired from that job. And then after being fired, he writes up this BS note about how, like, making fun of his Polish heritage, and then goes and posts it at the hospital, and he's like, hey, this is racial discrimination. I'm going to sue. Oh, my gosh. And everyone's like, mm, no, Joel. <laughs> um, so the Guziks are well known in the community and, a lot, and with law enforcement as just being trouble he'd involve his kids in his crimes so he'd take them with him when he'd go steal tires off of cars he'd dump them into donation bins what yep he'd dump them into donation bins for goodwill to have them like pilfer stuff out um he once just like loaded up a whole shopping cart full of like rack of ribs and meats and stuff and just like goes out the front door um what yeah he this is he drove a motor home off a cliff into Lake Billy Chinook <gasps> and had his kids on walkie-talkies to tell him when it was sunk so he could report it stolen. What the... What? So all this crazy stuff is going on and you kind of get lost in it. It sounds like a funny montage of a movie, like how yeah. ridiculous all of it is. But at the same time, he's horrible. Yeah. And he's abusing everybody at home oh. and he's aggressive with any female he encounters. Mm -hmm. So at one point, there's this girl, Jill. And Jill starts babysitting for the Guziks. And 
she doesn't get along with her parents and they don't really doesn't sound like at least the way this article is portraying it they're not really that into jill either so they let her parents yep Aww. so they let the guziks kind of take her they're like you be her guardians oh my gosh and this is right around the time that randy's born he's the third son okay um joel begins a sexual relationship with jill she's 13 oh no and he doesn't hide it at, at all. all everybody in the family knows that that's going and he has on. a wife at this he point? has a wife and she's she was a 15 year old Mm-hmm. okay now eventually she's... she's gone and there is another wife but neither okay. wife seems to have okay or and, he, and he's beating everybody so there's also yeah. like you know yeah. oh, um this is sad. by 1987 so when everything happens by then he has two kids with jill oh my god so they're, oh t- my god. they're together in quotes for years since she's 13 yeah oh so at one point joel joins a church it might be the jehovah's witness um because that comes up later but he joins a church which precludes donating blood and he does this solely so that he doesn't have to take paternity tests oh it's like his crafty little he's like it's my religion i can't give you my blood huh i wonder what his iq is because it seems like he's crafty yeah i don't know okay so joel would hit on any girl that his sons brought home. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of learned to stop bringing girls home mm-hmm. because he'd be half naked. He'd be naked under a robe and saying weird things to them about yeah. like if their sons can't do it, he will. And he's just being a gross dude. He leaves pornos everywhere. He's got all like he's got. He's just gross. So in addition to all of that, he has one daughter. She's the youngest of all the kids. And by the time she's in first grade, he's molesting her. And that goes on for years. Wait. Okay. So he has the 13-year-old yeah. that's now grown up. And yeah. Randy is now a teenager. Yeah. And Randy's like, so then there's Tammy, who's a younger sister to Randy. And Tammy gets a ton of sexual abuse. From Randy. From from Randy, the brother, uh-huh. Danny, the brother, and Joel, the dad. Okay. Do we know if the boys are also sexually abused? Not specifically called out, okay. but maybe yeah. yeah. Or they're just seeing it. They're seeing yeah. it. They're definitely physical. Like they're definitely abused verbally, and they might get beaten. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's sexual for them. Yeah. Um. Oh, my gosh. So his second wife, Susan Freeman, she says at one point that Joel is so out of control and he's so terrible that the family kind of comes up with a safe word, so that when he's super drunk and he's being aggressive with a member of the family, they yell bonsai and everyone drops what they're doing and immediately runs to help that person oh my God. and they like distract the dad it's yeah. this whole it's Ugh. just a mess so uh ultimately randy danny and joel are all charged with molesting tammy but they'll be more like i'll tell you about that later um okay so you've got the you've got ann who's going to live with her aunt and uncle in Terrebonne. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Randy, who's the teenage son of Terrible Joel. Mm-hmm. They both go to Redmond High. Okay. That's where they meet. So they meet in February 1987 and start dating. Okay. And Randy's kind of a bit of an enigma because in this article, they're saying he has a 3.9 GPA. Uh-huh. He drives a brand new bright blue VW Jetta. And in the trunk, he keeps a 22 rifle with a banana clip weird 
he's popular but not banana clip is like the it's like a high uh no because the the gun itself is going to control how fast that goes but it's it's you can have a lot of ammunition okay yeah it's like a banana shape and you Uh, put it in oh different high capacity i was thinking old school like the circle all the way around no okay um so randy and and don't date for super long because rod doesn't rod like has a good sense of people and he's like this kid's bad news mm-hmm. and Anne's supposed to be here and to kind the, of straighten her life out and that that family is like the well family known. is well known yeah. as being trouble yeah so uh randy never takes Anne to his house she like waits in the car for him outside like randy's kind of learned don't bring her around dad yes. and so it all kind of comes to a head like rod and randy kind of have at it on the porch one day and and here's Rod telling him, like, you're bad news. You're dragging her down. Get out of here. Blah, 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 blah. And he's talking to Anne. And Anne breaks up with Randy. And Randy doesn't take it well. Randy's like, you're just doing this because of your uncle. So he's super mad at Rod. Oh, no. And he's super mad at Anne. And he just kind of, like, stalks her for a while. So they live on this, like, beautiful property up on this bluff with beautiful views of everything but it's a really secluded road okay and randy will just like cruise their secluded road and he'll drive by holding a gun and looking at them he'll park and just kind of sit there with a gun he's just being super creepy i i don't know how to let him know that like that's probably not gonna work (laughs) (laughs) you know to win her back yeah so oh no um so he's he's being a creep and doing all that and it's freaking Anne out so because people aren't it doesn't sound like people are taking it seriously that she's afraid of him so she reports of like falsely reports a rape oh so that they'll take it seriously and okay but then the police are kind of like there's no truth to this so it kind of almost does the opposite um, Wait, was that proven to be false i think so okay um and then she had gone back to lake oswego she borrowed a gun from her brother because she's terrified of him yeah and she's at and she brought the gun to school and it got that gets her expelled i mean he has his in his car i bet you everyone has guns in their car okay all right so she gets expelled all right so then around the same time randy's got a best friend mark okay so mark they're what you'd call burgle buddies (laughs) say that three times fast (laughs) they like to get high on meth whoa and go and burgle houses burgle they burgle the houses (laughs) so mark is also a troubled kid he had a terrible childhood he's kind of a loner so he grew up in scapoose oregon and when they're moving to (laughs) your face scapoose is a, a funny sounding town when they're moving his parents are like we want you to fit in we're going to redmond they buy him all this like cowboy getup. And he gets to Redmond High and nobody dresses like a cowboy. Oh, no. And it's the only clothes he oh, has. Oh, no. So he's just this, like, loner outsider and he's sad. And He's got his little cowboy boots he's on. He's got his little cowboy boots oh, on. Buddy. And Mark is like, not Mark, uh, Randy is like, Mark, let's be pals. <laughs> I like your style. Yeah, because, well, he's also, like, he's super intuitive and, like, I think he sees that this is someone that'll kind of join him in his not that he can manipulate but like he thinks someone... he can yeah he thinks he can manipulate oh, mark okay. and that mark will go along with stuff gotcha. okay so mark and randy and this is kind of like a little bit of that's mark's opinion like he was taken advantage of okay. and like because shit happens and he's trying to not 
take as much responsibility yeah. for it. So Mark and Randy are best friends. They're burgling all this stuff. And they're learning a bunch of this from Joel, the dad. So in the spring of 87, the dad recruits the two boys to uh, rob this gal out in Sisters who's a coin collector. He like what? takes them out to the house and she... Just, just leave her alone. She's a coin collector. Oh my <laughs> but God. That's worth some money. Oh my God. So he drives them out and drops them off. Jill... Jill, who used to be 13, who's now an adult, Jill's listening on a police scanner to make sure, like, nothing happens. Oh, no. So they get away with it. They get, I think, $1,000 uh-huh. out of the And that woman wasn't home? Like, no, no, they just, okay. like, steal her coins. So then, um, after that, Randy and Mark start burgling by themselves. So Jill's not, like, setting them up anymore. Like, the two of them are just getting high and robbing people. And Mark estimates that they robbed between 50 and 100 houses. Oh, my gosh. They're just like, yeah, get a load of this. Randy knew most of the people that they robbed because he had joined the Jehovah's Witnesses (gasps) so that he'd know when they were out trying to get more Jehovah's Witnesses so he could rob their houses. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crafty and crazy. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That one blew my mind. So Joel, the dad, is at a flea market, and he sees this rich lady, Leora Waite. And she's about 64, and she's pretty flamboyant with her money. She likes Cadillacs. She's got a bunch of jewelry. She's obviously doing something at this flea market that catches his attention. Out in Madras? No, but like out in... Near Arizona? Central Oregon. Yeah, like not Ben. Not the biggest town in Central Oregon. Like some outskirtsies. So he kind of like hovers around, like catches her name. And then he goes back and he tells Randy and Mark, he's like, this lady's got money. She lives in Bend. Or let's figure out where she lives. Uh-huh. Um, Mark calls and like pretends to be a real estate. Somehow they figure out where she lives. Whoa. And they do a couple reconnaissance trips this to her house. This is in the 80s? Yeah. This is in 87. This is crazy. So they drive out a couple times. They scope the house. They're like, all right, yeah, we're going we're gonna to rob this lady. So on Sunday, June 28th, this guy, Donald Ross Cathy, He's a former Marine. He'd been in the Marines for like 10 months. I think he got kicked out. Like, he's also bad news. He joins up with Randy and Mark. And they're just kind of hanging out. Oh, God. And they go to go scope girls on a popular hike with waterfalls. Uh. And uh, they start talking about how they're going to rob this lady. And Donald's like, oh, I'm down. Like, I've got a pocket knife. Like, we'll slit her throat if we have to. Okay, calm down. Yeah. So Donald is a part of the gang. So then Randy leaves about an hour before the other two. They see some attractive girls, and they're going to follow them. And do what? No. But while they're following them, they get distracted, and Donald sees a beautiful house up on a bluff, and he goes, look at that place. That We got to hit that place. And that's when Mark goes, oh, dude, that's where Randy's ex, Ann, lives. <gasps> so they don't end up following those girls. Oh, no. So then 10 o'clock at night, they all meet up, they snort some meth, um, and they head to Bend. Ugh. So they're going to go rob Leora. They get there, and the driveway's full of cars, the lights are on, she's like having a party. And they all go, mm, we're high on meth, but we kind of know we shouldn't rob this place Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. So then uh, Donald is like, hey, let's go rob your ex's house. Like, I saw that house. Like, he no. brings it up again. And then... What, what are the odds, I you know. know? And then Randy's oh. like, well, we need more than your pocket knife like let's get guns so they stop by the house they get guns and then they head up to her house so down uh. this little road Anne doesn't live there anymore <gasps> she 
She'd gotten kicked out of school. She's ba- back in Lake Oswego. Just her aunt and uncle live there no. now. No. So Randy's pounding on the door at three in the morning. Oh, they're not even trying to sneak in. No. Like, <gasps> it's aggressive. Oh. They're pounding on the door. Because they think she's there. Yeah. And they've gotten guns. Like, they're... Oh, my God. So Rod confronts Randy on the door. He's, like, in his robe. He's yelling at him. And he's, like... It starts to escalate, and then Randy just turns to Mark, who's hiding <gasps> off to the side, and goes, do it. And he just starts shooting Rod. And, like, the way Mark describes it, Rod isn't really, re- like, he's just saying, like, why are you doing this? Stop this. And, like, oh they God. just keep shooting him. Randy pushes past him. Lois is now, like, run to a closet. She's trying to get a gun because she hears what's happening, and Randy kills her. Oh, my then they just ransack the house. They're stealing furniture. They're stealing like antique tablecloths, like all sorts of well, stuff. Well, they're high. Yeah. So then Donald like bum rushes in and he's like, he's got his knife with him still. And he's like, let's make it look like a cult killing. And he starts stabbing Rod and then puts a Bible on him. When did, is this like after the Mansons and all that? Uh, No, I mean like Pretty a decade cult. later. Okay. Um, so then they call Joel and Jill and they're like, hey, they, they meet him at five in the morning. So they've stolen everything. And they're like, they give them all the things and they tell them that a drug deal went bad and they had to kill all these Mexicans. So Joel and Jill take all this stuff and like debatable, like that's a story that Joel is now telling. Yeah. They might have known the whole time what happened. But so they say that the drug deal went bad and they gave us all this stuff and we were just like hiding it for them. Yeah. And that makes it better. Yeah. So then Randy and Mark are late for work. So they get to work. And they're like, oh, sorry, we overslept. And they're just high on meth. They've been killing people all night. Like, crazy town, USA. Four weeks before all this, Tammy's now a freshman in high school. This is the youngest sister. Yeah. Who's been abused yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She comes forward. I don't know if it's to a teacher or to the police, but she comes forward and says, my father and my brothers have been molesting me. She finally has a voice and she's like, you got to help me. Yeah. Um, they remove her from the home. So she's not living with them when all this takes place. Um, and they're collecting all sorts of evidence. She's staying with this one police officer, kind of being fostered by them. Um, and they're preparing all these. So they're going to indict them in July. So like there's all this other stuff that's going <gasps> to come down. And now these murders take place. Oh, my gosh. So Tammy's been telling them about all this mischief that her family's doing, like, uh, she's telling them about Randy, how he's stalking his ex. And so you've got these police in the police department who know all this information about the Guziks. Yeah. And then you have this all take and they're like, uh, look at these guys. Yeah. So it's a case where it's it, it's all working out well kind of from the get from the get go. Yeah. So the bodies aren't discovered until. Uh, like. 48 hours late, like. A day or two goes by and the two adult children haven't heard from their parents. So they come. They don't notice the body. Like they kind of hidden the bodies at first. It smelled really bad, but they didn't know what they were. So the dog has been there. It's been super hot. It's summertime. And they can tell that the house has been ransacked. And obviously something bad has happened. So they leave. They go. They call the police. um, And that's when they discover like their parents have been murdered. It's horrible. Um While all that's going off, Jill has been, they've been listening to police scanners, like the bodies. So whether they knew that that was originally the crime or not, Jill hears this call go out on the, and she's like, ooh, 
Joel, we got to burn everything. Yeah. So they start burning stuff in a burn barrel, any like financial documents and stuff that points to mm-hmm. the Housers. Meanwhile, people have been like going on dates with girls. Like Mark has like been taking girls out using credit cards that they stole, <gasps> like wearing the dude's shoes. Are you? Like, twisted. Serious? Oh my God. So they don't burn everything because they stole furniture. Uh-huh. So when the police do go by the Guziks to like interview them, they're like, huh, that's a coffee table from there. That TV looks familiar from photos from the house. Um, so they're on to the Guziks kind of from the get-go. Yeah. Um, Joel, Jill, Randy, and Mark take a trip to Reno, like this really quick little Reno trip. Tammy, meanwhile, is telling police, like, she's contacting them, like, hey, I think my family had something to do with this. This is where, like, we have these types of guns. And at the time, it's kind of a unique gun or the way that it yeah. was used was unique where did go she, tammy and she goes this is where they used to fire the guns into a log pile so they go out so they can pull stuff for <gasps> ballistics tests like she's a huge part of wow. tying them all to it um so then in this weird twist of fate one of the detectives has a foster kid so they foster kids and it's news in the town and it comes up and this girl is like i met those boys the day of the murder she was like one of the people hiking along that trail yeah and she was supposed to hang out with them and then like something fell through because i never heard back from them i drove by the guzik house the following morning to like chat like i just like i snuck out of my window and i went and i saw them unloading all of this like furniture and stuff Whoa! and so the detective's like well there's another tie and yeah. another witness oh my god um so then under questioning randy's like Oh, yeah. Anne definitely is the killer. She's super mad at her grand- at her aunt and uncle and the one who lived there because she's over in Lake Oswego. Yeah. So Randy's like, she was mad at them and she's got to be the killer. And she was really good friends with my sister, Tammy. You should figure out where Tammy was that night. So he's like trying to throw okay. them under the bus. Okay, calm down. <clears throat> um, So then it like spins to Joel. And in order to like have nothing happen to him... Joel is like, oh, yeah, he starts singing like a bird. He's like, let me take you to the storage unit. This is where all the stuff from the house is. These are where all the guns are hidden. Um, I didn't know. Like, again, they told me that they just killed a bunch of Mexicans over a drug deal. Like, I had no idea it was this other family. And and he's also trying to, like, kind of push off the charges and be a witness so that he doesn't have the Tammy charges. Yeah. Um, he, he ultimately does. Um, but so then Randy is tried and convicted of aggravated murder. And he's just kind of uh, a prick about it. Like, oh, is that the one where, like, I'm going to be put to death? And which is. So he's on death roll. They've appealed the case three times and retried. And each one is on, like, it's weird little technicality stuff. Again, you should read this five-part series through the Oregonian because that part's kind of interesting. Is like how it's not one where you're like, oh. Because there's certain cases where, like, you're excited about the appeal. And, Uh like, that was... the Bradley evidence didn't come into place or whatever Um, but these ones are like Oregon law changed slightly and because like in one of the instances I think they allowed Rod's brother to say one time we went backpacking and we told each other whoever dies first has to bring the other person's ashes out to this beautiful lake and they felt like that would have imprinted on the jury to be extra sad Oh, so like weird weird stuff like that where it doesn't really have to do with like the law or evidence or Mm -hmm. anything like that um 
then like there's this weird like one of the last parts he's got this cousin who comes out of the brush and she's like we've had a sexual relationship in high school and he's a really great guy there's no way that he murdered anybody and she's like a character witness for him through several of the trials and then she suddenly switches and she's like oh no way he's a bad dude everyone's like why have you changed and like they brought her up she was a defensive witness so in court she's supposed to like come up and like be saying good things about him and on the on the stand she just kind of is like i can't do it he's terrible and and then like (gasps) that was one of the reasons the jury was like oh like his character witness says that he's terrible yeah 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 mark 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 has life in prison several life sentences that is insane it's so sad that is so sad. It's just like all these circumstances. You can kind of see all the like branches coming together, you know? Yeah, this was one. And again, small towns. So you've got all yeah. these little interweavings. Yeah. Um, But it's the same thing. You've got this just lovely couple mm-hmm. and something horrible happened to them. Yeah. Ugh. We had some heavy ones. Yeah. Um, But yeah, these were our local Central Oregon murders. Um. To kind of wrap up the the episode, I guess Jackie, are you reading, listening, watching? Um, anything? I've started watching Veronica Mars. Oh my god! And I love it. <laughs> and a brief synopsis: What is? Well, you've got Kristen Bell, okay, who's adorable. Yeah, she is. She's great in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. If you haven't watched it, <laughs> one of Drea's top five movies. Uh, she's a high school student. Oh my god! Who no? And she's like twenty four at the time that she's <laughs> filming it as a high school student. Um, her dad is the former sheriff, but had to retire kind of in disgrace, uh-huh. and now he's a private eye. So uh-huh. she works at his private eye company. Um, and the whole arc so far, I'm just in the first season. Um, her best friend was murdered. Oh, and no. so we're trying to figure that out. And then each episode has its own little bottle mystery that gets solved. It's real good. Gotcha. <laughs> you're you're going to watch it. Is it on Hulu? Or oh, it's on Hulu. I'm going to watch it. Kimmery's super into it. You will fall into Veronica Mars. God damn it. My friend Mallory told me about it. And I was like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> Fine. What are you watching, reading, listening I'm to? glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I said this last time, but I'm watching The Boys. Yes. Okay. Did I say it last time or did yeah. I just tell you? Alfair. Both. You told me and then you said it again. I was okay. like, oh, she wants me to watch The Boys. It is so good. And the thing is, it's so good that Kyle downloaded it and watched it on the plane oh, he, without me. He watched but this, ahead. But this but wait, is... wait, here. Weren't you sitting next to him? No. This is the thing. Let me tell you. I was like, hmm, what am I going to watch on the plane? Oh, we are watching the boys together. I'm not going to download it like a good human being because we're watching it together. And the next thing I know, he downloaded it so he could watch it on the plane. But he has Bluetooth headphones, so we can't share his headphones. (sighs) So I watched Mindhunter instead, and it is amazing. Yeah, Kimberly's been watching. If you guys I'm I'm in the new season, but not as far as you guys are. Oh my gosh. Mindhunter, first season, amazing. And then somehow, second second season is still amazing. So, highly recommend Mindhunter. Don't roll your eyes when I say this. Veronica Mars? No. No. (laughs) Mad Men. No. Don't don't roll your eyes when I say this. You like it because it's David Fincher, and you like David Fincher stuff. (laughs) So, Jackie has this whole thing where... This is not me. This is a known... This is how other people behave. (laughs) 
Okay, no, and I'm not knocking it. I think it's a really good way to go, but I'm so bad with names that I don't know how to classify things Okay, like that. Jackie says, if you find a good producer or filmmaker, you look at what else... You go through their filmography. Here's what I'll say to you. You need to figure out whoever, like... Who's behind Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Probably Judd Apatow. You probably love a lot of Judd Apatow movies. Yeah. Who's behind Dave and Mike Need Wedding Dates? <gasps> love that You movie. probably love a bunch of people, like a bunch of movies that that person's made. But like, I don't know. I don't know why I've never thought about doing that. It's kind of like an, a favorite author. You're like, oh, if I like this book, maybe I'll like this book. It's 100% the same thing. I know. I know. Um, anywho, I digress. Thank you. Um, See you later. Wait. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> uh, so that kind of wraps up our self care and like what we're watching, listening to. Um, thank you guys so much for listening in this week, and we hope you come back next week. And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast, or stop by our website KillerCocktailsPodcast.com. For up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus. And we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for coming again. Um, I hope you guys come again next week. You're killing her. I heard the little chuckle after the first one, and then when you said it again, she died. Oh, I have to pee so bad. Okay. That monkey butt. Oh, it's gross. Okay. All right.